You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, so um, many of you guys sent in questions uh, for us to grill the dean with today. I've got a list of them right here, and so we'll just kind of move through them, and if we finish a little early, probably have a chance for kind of roaming mind situation where if one's popped into your head over the course of this conversation today, I can pass this down to you and uh, you can pepper the dean with some more. Um, so do you mind if I pray for you before we I, start? I, I should certainly hope so. Good, do. good deal. Lord, thanks for this day. Thanks for all the children and families in here and um, all the work you've done to draw them to yourself um, up to this point in their lives. Lord, thanks for Andrew and uh, for his wisdom. And uh, we ask that you give him your words to speak as he thinks about and answers these questions today. In your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so lead off today. Why were the fruits of the Spirit written about in the Bible? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to answer that. I, I should give some, uh, some uh, remarks uh, out of the gate. One, this is, this is really kind of my favorite class that we do every year. Uh, I'm really glad that, uh, that we're together. And, and I want it to be a conversation. So if some of these questions are yours, and I answer it in a way that makes you think, that didn't answer my question, uh, you, should, you should say, hey, I'd like to ask a follow-up. And would even encourage the parents uh, to chime in as we talk about these questions, because in reality, uh, I think that the questions that the sixth graders ask are questions that we want to ask too and, and to get answers to. So if you're in the back and you're wondering, you know, do I really, um, you know, I, I'd like a little, bit, uh, a little bit more there. And uh, this is the hardest thing about these questions. Often the questions that we ask are not really what we're asking. And so again, uh, I'm going to try to get behind the questions as much, uh, as, much as possible. So uh, when we talk about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, um, what was the, read the, the actual question again for me, Tucker. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Why were the fruits of the Spirit written about in the Bible? Why were the fruits of the Spirit written about uh, in, in the Bible? Well, uh, one, uh, let me just uh, preface uh, what, we're going, what I'm going to say uh, with this is that actually when the Bible speaks of a fruit, it speaks of it as, as fruit, not, not fruits of the Spirit. And so uh, when we look in uh, Galatians, um, we, we hear this, verse 22 in chapter 6. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So these are things that ought to mark the Christian life. Uh, but I also like the fact that the Bible never says that Christians produce fruit in their lives, but that Christians bear fruit. So if you want to look at it this way, let's think about uh, a fruit tree. Uh, a fruit tree doesn't say, and now I'm going to grow apples. Uh, and now I'm going to grow oranges, or now I'm going to grow pears. Uh, but actually what determines the fruit that they bear is the sap that runs through the tree. And it's that which produces the, 
the, the bud and the bloom that ultimately turns uh, into fruit. So the Holy Spirit, he is the sap that runs through us that produces the fruit in our lives and we simply bear it. Right, so an apple tree only knows how to do one thing, bear apples. Um, that's, just, that's just what it does. And so in the same way, uh, these things are things that we should expect in our lives uh, because the Holy Spirit, he's dwelling within us. Now, as I read that list, I hope that you were saying to yourself, well, I'm pretty good at love and joy, but I could use some real work on gentleness and self-control. Right, that's what I would say uh, about my own life. Um, I don't think that I'm as gentle as I ought to be, and I certainly don't think I'm as self-controlled uh, as I ought to be. And, and if you think that you're just smoking all of these, uh, I'll ask your brothers and sisters uh, how you're doing uh, on these issues. Uh, but the real key is that when we see this list of the fruit of the Spirit, we realize that's not what I am, but that's what I want to be. And that's actually a hallmark of being a Christian. So if you read this list and say, well, I don't tick all of these boxes, um, but I want my life to be reflective of these things, uh, then that's a good indication that the Spirit is working within you and is producing this fruit. So meditate often on Galatians chapter 5 uh, at the tail end there. Um, and, um, uh, and then you can look at what the fruit of the flesh is uh, before that as well. Cool. Thanks. With your with your parents, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question two. It's a little bit of a zinger. Um, what about the people who died before Jesus was resurrected? Were they or are they forgiven retroactively, or were they in hell prior to the resurrection? Right. Um, yeah, I, I read something the other day that I thought was wrong that somebody wrote about what uh, what the deal was uh, with. Um, with what happens to people who died before Jesus. Well, one, there was never a time where Jesus wasn't. So, so it's not like Jesus just showed up on the scene that first Christmas. Do you ever think about that? That how awful it must be for Jesus that Christmas Day and, and his birthday are the same day? Um, it's a joke. It's a joke. Um, but um, there is a very funny comic of the wise men coming to Jesus, and as they present their gifts, they say, this is for Christmas and your birthday. Uh, but um, there never was a time where Jesus wasn't. So he was in the beginning. So John 1 tells us that in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and uh, in him all things were made. And this Word is, he has a name, begins with J, ends in Jesus, right? Jesus. Uh, so he was in the beginning at, at the creation of the world. Uh, so there's never been a time where there wasn't Jesus. And even in the Old Testament, you have these what are called types and signs and shadows of the redemptive work in Jesus. So, for instance, in a story of um, uh, Abraham, who God wanted, God said to Abraham, this is a very traumatic event uh, in the Old Testament, uh, but... God gave Abraham a son, and, and he had longed for this son for, for his entire life. And God said that I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And so God blesses Abraham with a son named Isaac. And then God says, I want you to take Isaac 
uh, up on this mountain called Moriah, and on that mountain, I want you to sacrifice him. Woe is right. And Abraham realized that the only real option for him was to do what God told him to do. And so he takes Isaac, who's, who's uh, growing up at this point, uh, and he takes a knife and he takes the wood to build the altar that he's going to sacrifice Isaac on. And Isaac himself carries the wood up the hill on this mountain called Moriah. And right before Abraham is about to kill his son Isaac, God stays his hand and says, stop. And there in the thickets, God has a ram who is stuck in the bushes. And God says, don't sacrifice your son Isaac, but sacrifice this lamb instead, and, or this ram instead. And worse yet, as they're walking up the mountain, Isaac is having this conversation with his father, asking him questions like, where's the lamb? Where's the animal? Well, we've got the wood, we've, we've got the knife, we've, but, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God himself, my son, will, will, will provide the sacrifice. I mean, this is pretty heavy stuff. Well, I hope that in telling that story, you can hear another story like that. Doesn't that sound familiar? What does that story sound like? About a son who carries the wood up the hill and is to lay down his life. Jesus. And not only that, that hill called Moriah, do you know what hill that is? That's the hill they built Jerusalem on. And it will be in that vicinity that Jesus himself will die. So the Old Testament is really yelling at us, this is about Jesus. Right? The, the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. And the New Testament points back to the Old Testament showing us where Jesus is in the Old Testament. And then we get into the New Testament and Paul begins a conversation about Abraham. And he said that Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so even though Abraham may not have used the name of Jesus, he believed in God's ability to save his people and lived in faith and obedience to him. And it was not that obedience that made Abraham righteous but the grace that had worked in his heart to reach out to God in faith. And that was, that was uh, reckoned to him as righteousness. Now then, Jesus tells a story about a man named Lazarus. And the other man doesn't have a name, but we often call him Dives, or the rich man. And to make a long story short, these two men die. And Dives, or the rich man, goes to hell. And Lazarus, who is a very poor man, he goes to heaven. And it's not the same Lazarus that Jesus is ra raises from the dead. But it's just another man named Lazarus. And, this La and, and Lazarus goes to heaven, and he's with God. Well, that was before Jesus was crucified. That was before Jesus was raised from the dead. And so I think that the, the entire witness of the Bible, even in the Old Testament, is that if you are a believer... 
that it's appointed once for man to die and, and then judgment. Um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so Old Testament believers, uh, I think, are in the presence of, of God. Now, we can get into whether or not that that presence is as full as it would be after Jesus. And we can, we can talk about that because of what Jesus did. But I do think that, um, that people who died before Jesus, who were walking in faith, um, are, are with him. Yeah, that's good. Helpful. Um, you know, John 8, too, Jesus says, uh, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. That's right. Um, so... There seems to be a sense in which folks are looking forward, even in the Old Testament, to some general messianic promise. Um, okay, number three, what should you focus on when you find yourself questioning your faith? Yeah, what should you focus on when you find yourself questioning your faith? Well, one, um, every single Christian is going to question their faith. I mean, even my own life, uh, I find myself, uh, you know, all of a sudden you, you begin to wonder, you know, is, is all this really true? And, um, you know, what if I just walked away from God for a little bit? And I, you know, there, was a, there was a period of time in college, which I'm not going to go. I'll tell you when you become seniors in high school. Um, <laughs> but where, where I actually said, you know, God, I love you. Uh, I acknowledge you, um, but I'm going to take a break from you. You know, we're, we're just going to take some time off uh, from one another. Now, God didn't let me do that, uh, thankfully. Uh, but I can remember actually saying that to God. Uh, so we're all going to do that at some point in our lives. I don't think I'm unique in that at all. Um, but the two things I will say about that is um, what do you focus on when you, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, the first one is that you need to understand that if you're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, God's focused on you. And even if you've lost your focus on him, he's always going to be focusing on you. Okay, so that's one thing. Um, the second thing is that God gives us brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, to help us in these moments. So if you're going through a really difficult time in your life, don't you want to talk to your friends about it? Don't you want to talk to your, sometimes, mom and dad about it? Um, well, in the same way, God gives us a family, your church family, where we, we talk about that stuff with one another. And not just that, if you see your brother or your sister, that is your Christian brother or sister, and you see them struggling and you, you hear that they're doubting, um, that would be a really good time to, to pray for them, uh, to encourage them, to remind them of how much God loves them and, and how you're there for them. Uh, I, I think that, that that's one thing to do. So if you see somebody that is struggling, you should reach out to them. And if you yourself are struggling, then you should reach out to someone that you know is a believer in Jesus that might be able to help you along the way. I've been teaching through Exodus, and uh, we just, a couple weeks ago, were talking about that scene uh, where they're, um, they're battling the Amalekites, the people of Israel. It's their first big battle uh, since, it's their first battle, uh, since leaving Egypt. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and as long as Moses has his arms up, 
the Israelites are winning. But when his arms go down, the Amalekites start to win. And so up on the mountain with him are two men named Aaron and Hur. And they're holding his arms up. It's kind of funny to think about. Uh, and they build a chair for him. Out of, they put a stone down in order for him to sit down while they hold up the arms. Now, what I love about that story is Moses doesn't say, hey, would you two go with me and help me out? They just went with him. They didn't wait for Moses to say, will you hold my arms up? They didn't wait for Moses to ask, hey, can you make me a chair? They just did it. So that's, that's a picture of the Christian life for us, and, and we ought to do that. And that also means being able to be vulnerable with one another. Uh, I don't think that that's easy because we want everybody to think that we're big and, and bad and tough. So typically when one Christian asks another Christian, how are you doing with the Lord? We say, awesome, awesome. My time in the Word is, is just amazing, and I read my Bible every day. And of course, all that's a complete and total lie. <laughs> we're not reading our Bible um, even when we are, we're just sort of reading and we think, what did I just read? I'm not even able to, to remember the words that, that have just uh, flowed into me. And in fact, I feel like God is really far away. But what, what God's love for us does in Jesus is, and the fruit of the Spirit, which we talk about, what, what that, how that's demonstrated and what that allows us to do is when one of our friends asks how are you doing in your walk with Jesus? It allows us and compels us to say to our friend, not great, not great. And for our friend to respond, not with, well, you need to try harder, but I love you, I'm praying for you, and Jesus is never gonna let you go. Now, for the individual who's, who's struggling, what I would say is, yes, reach out to a friend, say, I'm struggling. Talk to your mom and dad. I'm confused. I don't know where God fits into my life right now. Um, but, but above all, seek Jesus. So if you really want, let's say you meet somebody at school. Uh, they're new in town. And just with, you've had a little bit of interaction with them. You maybe play golf with them. You, you, you hung out with them down uh, at the beach when you were down there. Uh, and uh, because in Florida, you can do anything. And uh, you really like them, but how do you get to know them better? How would you get to know somebody better? It's spend time with them. Right? You'd go home and you'd ask your mom and dad, hey, can so-and-so come over? Can I go over to their house? You know, if you have a phone, you're going to get their number and you're going to text them. Right? You're going to talk to them on the phone. Uh, in the same way, if you want to get to know God, you, you spend time with him. And the way you do that is through prayer and through getting into his word, reading, reading the Bible. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you're always going to, uh, to understand what the Bible is saying, although he promises to lead us into all truth. Uh, and it doesn't mean that every time you pray that you're going to have this amazing time. Aren't there times when you're going to hang out with a friend and you go home and your mom and dad ask, what did you do and what did you talk about? And you go, I don't know, nothing. You obviously talked about something. And it was nice to be with them, but there wasn't anything necessarily impactful. But nonetheless, that time that you spent with them actually helped facilitate uh, a stronger relationship with your friend. And, and being with the Lord Jesus is, is no different, except that Jesus is always ready to hang out. 
You know, Jesus is not, you know, waiting by the phone, you know, waiting for you to call. Uh, Jesus is the friend who's always like, hey, what do you want to do today? There's just that expectation. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for you to say, no, no, no. man, that's bad. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if I could just like emphasize one part of that. There, there's a tendency, I think, to think, oh, I'm having doubts. That is a bad thing. Right. Or that is a sinful thing or something that I should hide from the Lord, from my parents, from people who love me and care for me. Uh, and that's exactly the opposite of what you should do. Um, you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant, your mom might have told you. And so sometimes the best thing to do is to trot those doubts out into the open and ask the Lord to show himself to you, to draw you closer to himself, and to ask friends or mentors in your life um, about the questions you might have. You guys, you cannot open up the book of Psalms without seeing David or Asaph or somebody else mm-hmm. doubting what has happened, right? Whether God exists, where is he? Does he still love them? All this stuff. You are not the first person to have doubts, nor will you be the last. And in fact, this probably won't even be the last time in your life, okay? So it's important to keep that in mind. And also, on an intellectual level, um, there is no question that you are asking of the Lord that somebody else in the last 2,000 years hasn't asked, okay? That's right. So, yeah, that's a really, that I, you know, Tucker, that's a really good point. Um, if, you're, if you find yourself really struggling, a great book to go to in the Bible is the Psalms. Um, it's, it's, it's just about struggle. So um, I, I find my, my, my I, I keep going back uh, recently in my own life as I've been struggling with some things and doubting some things uh, to Psalm 42. And this is a Psalm that was written uh, 2,500 to 3,000 years ago. Uh, and, and I'll read, uh, I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase it, but I'll go through it. Uh, as a deer uh, pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So one of the things that I've struggled with lately is, I hate this class, just kidding. (laughs) Um, Sometimes on Sundays when we gather, I don't feel God's presence like I used to. And that's what Psalm 42, that's that's what the psalmist is saying. He's, He's saying, hey, remember... Remember when we used to go with the throngs? Uh, when we would, uh, with glad shouts and songs of praise, go into procession to the house of God, a multitude-keeping festival? Remember those days? How when we gathered together to worship him, he was there. And we felt him. And now it's almost as if people are saying, well, yeah, where's your God now? And I know that God is still here, but that feeling is still real, real of, you know, where are you, God? Why don't you show up in my heart uh, the way that you used to? And, and why do I feel like when I, I, I come in on a Sunday morning, 
I don't feel the freedom that I used to feel. Uh, the freedom of my heart. It, it feels like it's in a straitjacket. What, what, what's actually the disconnect that's happening between me and, and my ability to feel your presence uh, in a tangible way uh, like I used to? So the Psalms are a great place to go and, uh, and speak. Um, you know, just, just flip through them. And you can always ask uh, Cameron or Tucker or somebody else, even me, um, hey, what's a good, this is the issue I'm struggling with. What's a good psalm to go to? What's a good psalm? Because isn't it nice to go to, the God, to God's word and go to Psalm 42 and, and to say, this is somebody who struggles with the same thing that I struggle with today. And, and, and God allows us to be honest about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. Number four, uh, kind of a repeat question year after year here in the Dean's class. Will I see my pet in heaven? Well, it depends on if it's a dog or a cat. Fair. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, as, as I speak, as I speak, um, uh, one of our dogs, Charlie, who is an idiot uh, and has a real penchant for socks, uh, Charlie has swallowed uh, his 50th sock at this point, uh, and normally we are able to deal with it. So Charlie uh, is having emergency surgery right now uh, to remove this sock from his small intestine. And as a footnote, if you're trying to discern what God might be calling you to in life, emergency veterinary medicine is a very lucrative practice. <laughs> And, uh, and you might actually uh, say that this is a rescue dog who, I'm just going to say it because they, these people ought to be embarrassed. Should I tell them how much this is going to cost? I shouldn't? Okay, it's very expensive, um, more than the dog is worth. And, um, and there's a part of me that says, well, Charlie's living life the way he wants to. And, and, and this will not be his last sock. Um, so anyway, uh, so I, I have a great affection for animals, and um, in our own house, we've got what nine chickens, a bunny, two cats, three dogs, and a partridge. Yeah, I mean basically. Um, and in any given moment, the girls we used to live in a different house. Uh, the girls brought a little snake into the house, and we never found it before we moved out. Uh, so uh, he may still be there. Um, and it was just a little baby copperhead. It's fine. I'm just kidding. It was a little ringneck snake. So I'm, a, I'm an animal lover. And, um, you don't pick up yourself. I do. I won't say who doesn't. Uh, but I've asked the, the vet to take note of what the sock is uh, when it's removed from his person. Uh, but let me say this. Animals are part of God's unconscious creation. So they're in the same category as rocks and trees and um, the Grand Canyon and, and, and all of that, which means that animals can't help but praise God. Right? That's, that's how they're built. And how does the Bible speak of them? Well, if you look at Romans chapter 8, listen to this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, for the revealing of the sons of God. So that is your dog, your cat, your hamster. They're eagerly longing 
uh, for, for God's ultimate salvation to be revealed. That's what they're looking forward to. So we're oftentimes we don't walk around and think about God's return and God setting this earth to rights. Guess what your dog's thinking about all the time? Jesus. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Why does Charlie eat socks? Because of us. Because of Adam and Eve who fell in the garden. That's a really sad thing to think about, isn't it? That when we fell in the Garden of Eden, when they ate of the, the fruit of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, not only did humanity fall and experience a separation from God, but creation now suffers the consequences of that and not of their own doing. So they're an innocent party that is suffering the ramifications of sin and they don't deserve it. So Charlie eats socks. Hurricanes happen. Tsunamis happen. Um, your favorite rosebush dies. Uh, so on and, and, and so forth. And, and all of that is pointing to the longing of creation to be fully redeemed. So whether or not you know, you're going to see uh, but listen to this, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That one day Charlie's not going to feel the need to eat socks. Now, whether or not your pet is going to be in heaven, I don't know. I don't know about that. But I think that what we're reading here, are there going to be dogs, cats, and hamsters and animals in heaven? Yes. Because the, the Bible tells us, what are we, what's one of the pictures that the Bible gives us involving animals of what the new heaven and the new earth are going to look like? The lion lies down with the lamb. Right, so we're going to see, so your dog that wants to chase your cat all the time, now they're best friends. Right, that's not going to happen anymore. So, um, so when you look at your pet, aren't they great? I mean, I have a little prayer that my, uh, used to hang up on my grandmother's refrigerator. And it says, uh, Lord, uh, make me the person that my dog thinks I am. Right? Because uh, when we, like dogs just love us. Um, cats just want to be loved uh, with, with nothing in return. Uh, that's not true. Uh, we've got a cat right now who comes around maybe every once, a, once every couple weeks. And all of a sudden, he's become really affectionate. And so my first impression is he's rabid. He's gotten rabies. And he may have done, but, um, but he's being very nice right now. And don't your animals make you feel good? I mean, when you're feeling terrible, don't you just want to grab your dog, your cat, or your whatever it is that you have at home? Um, and so uh, I think that God put them in your life for a reason. And, uh, and that reason is uh, not only to make you feel loved and, uh, and like you have a friend, uh, but they're supposed to remind you uh, to look to Jesus and to eagerly wait along with them uh, for God's full salvation to make itself known. Good deal. Number five, 
What is the church's stance on LGBT issues? Why is that the church's stance? And how should the church minister to the LGBT community? So do you want to talk about pets again? or? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah um, well, let me say, um, because I think that there's another question coming up about climate change. Uh, yeah, fossil fuels. Okay, fossil fuels. Okay, so let me say this. I think it's really good that um, the issues that are manifesting themselves in our culture, uh, that we ask, uh, how does God's word come to bear on these things? But I would also say that the questions that we really should be asking more than those questions about fossil fuels and, um, and LGBTQ issues are what questions does God want us to ask, right? So when we read the Bible, what are the questions that emerge from that? So when I hear about LGBTQ things, I think... You know, some of the things I'm hearing in that question are how do we love people uh, that, that may be different from us? Um, if, if I'm feeling like I may be experiencing same-sex attraction, I'm a girl and I'm more attracted to girls, or I'm a boy and I'm more attracted to boys, um, does God still love me? Um, you know, how do I, you know, I, I read in God's word that, that some of this stuff is, is, is not on the up and up and not what God would want. And yet I know that God wouldn't want me to be a jerk. So how do I, how do I balance all of that? So um, help me as we, I want to make sure yeah, I try yeah, to answer yeah. the question, but as we For work sure. through it. No, I think you're exactly right. So the first thing, let's take the second question first that I've derived from this. One is that if you feel attracted to someone of the same sex you need to know that God loves you full stop and that each and every single one of us when it comes to our sexuality is broken that's just the, the fact uh, of the matter and um, and I hope um, that that's a conversation that you can have with your parents uh, to flesh that out uh, a little bit. Um, certainly, I hope it's a conversation that you can have with Cameron or Tucker or, or someone like that who will uh, help you to, to walk uh, through it. But I think the first thing that I would say is that we need to be very careful that we don't let our desires define who we are. Because I, there are a whole bunch of things that I desire that are not very good. And, uh, and, and I would never want to say this is who I am. So first and foremost, when we talk about people being um, lesbian, gay, um, transgendered, bisexual, or queer, those are labels that human beings have invented. Right? The, uh, even actually, you know, the, there was actually no such thing as race until the Census Bureau decided there was. Like, I, I was filling out some forms the other day, and it said, are you a non-white Hispanic slash Latino? Those are made-up words. Right? They actually don't exist. Um, what, what we are are human beings that are created in the image of God, and that if we're believers, first and foremost, our identity is in Jesus Christ. 
And so we no longer relate to one another as black, white, male, female, gay, straight, whatever. We relate to one another as the redeemed people of God, as sinners saved by God's grace. And yet for us, we're always wanting to, to sort of take, take hold of some kind of identifying marker. And I'm going to tell you, if we do that, that would be really bad because that's what we're seeing in our country right now. Where all of a sudden these secondary identifying things, which are not unimportant, right? I mean, I do think that there's something to, you know, um, you know, to say that Andrew's a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant means something, but that's not my true identity. Um, it does mean something to be a black person in America and the experience that they've had in this country. And, and we need to listen to that. But if we be, or, and, it, and it means something to have your own political prerogatives. But if we're starting to elevate things like being a Republican or a Democrat or, or an independent, uh, whatever it may be, um, that gives those labels a status that is only going to increase brokenness. Because the Bible tells us that God has made of all the peoples of the earth one race. The same blood that courses through my veins courses through the veins of a black lesbian socialist, right? So we need to relate to one another on those, on those terms and, and to see ourselves, especially if we're Christians, in light of our identity uh, in, in Christ. And so the Bible does speak univocally uh, about sexual relationships and the only appropriate context for sexual relationships is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. That the, the Bible speaks Old Testament, New Testament, across the board in one voice on that. But the Bible also says that it's not enough, and I'm reading into it a little bit here, but I think that you that, that most of you would agree. The Bible also doesn't, but the Bible doesn't say that we can just say, well, that's that. And we never have to worry about this issue again, because what the Bible does is it actually compels us to say, no, 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 no. Then how do we minister to people? How do we bring it into our community, our family of faith, people that may deal with same-sex attraction? And it's not enough to simply say, hey, sorry, you can't get married. That's not the Bible's answer to this. The Bible's answer is to, to love them, to incorporate them into our family. And so think about that. If you have someone who's same-sex attracted and they're trying to be faithful to the Bible, that means that um, they probably live by themselves. So are we inviting them into our homes? Not just for Christmas and Thanksgiving, but are we saying we want to live life with you? Because... The thing about it is, is that there's this idea in our world today that if you don't get married, you're less of a person. Or that if you're not allowed to get married, or, or actually what our world is saying is that in order to really be fully human is to be able to express yourself sexually, whether that's in marriage or not. Well, that can't possibly be true. Because the only person who ever exhausted life of its 
potential. John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Never had sex and was never married. And that man's name was Jesus. And so that's a lie to say that in order to really experience full joy and full life in this world, you have to get married and you have to be sexually active. Or what the world would say, you just have to be sexually active. But what is needed at our deepest level as human beings is love and intimacy. And that doesn't have to manifest itself sexually. You know, when, and, and, I, and I know that in our world is kind of set up to work against this because when I was in college, I lived with 14 other guys. We were all Christians. We were all piled into a house together. And I, I would think you can use the word intimacy to describe that. We lived life together. We laughed together. We cried together. We shared our hopes. We shared our fears. We shared our dreams with one another. We prayed for one another. We ate with one another. We didn't have a life apart from one another. And then we leave college, and the only guy friends I have now are the ones my wife gives me. And that's not her fault, that's mine, because all of a sudden now I believe this lie of, well, now I've got my wife, and, and, and I ought not to have any intimacy. Now, sexual intimacy, yes, but I ought not to have any spiritual intimacy with anybody else. And the Bible says, that's not true. But most of us married men would probably admit that Jesus' greatest miracle was that he had close friendships with 12 other guys. And so the Bible actually says to us, especially those who are on the margins, especially those who are alienated by the life of the church, those are the ones who you need to designate as honorary aunts and uncles. They're just a fixture in your life. They're over at the house. They're eating. They're your go-to people. They're part of your family. And so what I would say is it's not so much the biblical witness that I'm concerned about when it comes to drawing the line on sexual behavior. I would say at a place of the advent, it's more on the other side of that, of how that's lived out in the context of loving relationships as God's family. Good deal. That's helpful. What time do we have to be done here? Pretty much now. Okay. Cool. Um, we can go for two more minutes, I cool. think, until uh, ten past. One, we have a few more questions, but I think one that is probably pretty concise and is probably yes. pretty good to end on. Um, what are the best ways for me to grow in my faith? Yeah, in the same way we talked about before, if you're going to be in a relationship with anyone, you, you spend time with them. And so if you want to grow in your faith, uh, a couple things that I would recommend. Read your Bible, pray, but do that with other people. Do that with other people. Are you, praying with, are you praying with your parents every day? You know, when you talk to your friends and they say, man, I've got a really hard test on Friday, do you say, hey, well, let's stop and pray about that. You know, I, I, would, I don't know what, what grade this starts in, Cameron, but I think it's probably next year. But are you in a Bible study with other people? So that, because Christian walks are never meant to be done alone. And so you need to draw other people into that. So I, I would say that that's probably the best way to, to do that. Good deal. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks, you guys, for throwing some questions our way. All right, should we pray? Yeah. Let me pray it. for you. 
Ah, Jesus, we thank you so much for calling us to faith. And Lord, I I thank you for these six writers and uh, I pray for them uh, as they do a very brave thing, uh, most of them in a couple weeks, and that is to stand and to publicly declare uh, their faith in you uh, before their church family. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, beyond that day that you would sustain them and strengthen them and Lord, embolden them to fight bravely under your banner against sin, the world, and the devil, and to continue as Christ's faithful soldier and servant until their life's end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.